You're listening to Frankly My Dear, the podcast. I'm Fariza. And I really just want to hear from you, women with a story to tell. No lies, no drama. Okay, maybe just a little bit. I hope you like it here. Let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm Fariza and welcome to another episode of Frankly My Dear, the show that invites other women in our communities to have honest conversations with each other. Um, before I introduce my next guest to you, can I ask that we make sure we've all eaten or that we're eating something because if you're not, you're about to get really, really hungry because my guest today is someone who knows food really, really well. In fact, she's known as the Sambal Queen during her time at MasterChef Asia in 2018, uh, where she emerged finalist. She is Shamsida Ani. Shamsida, hi and welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. <laughs> have you had breakfast? Yes, I have. It's a must-have. I always like that's the first thing I wake up and then breakfast is a must. <laughs> yeah, because already in my mind I'm like thinking, okay, after this I'm gonna have nasi lemak or something. Um, you know what? Since since we're just talking about food, let's like what's what's your favorite breakfast? Like the best local breakfast that you can think of. The best local breakfast. It has to be softball egg with a good kaya toast and a yeah. good coffee. Is yeah. that something that you would actually eat outside or you would make yourself at home? I would actually eat outside because, to be honest, I've not perfected my softball egg, you know, unless it's sous vide or like done, you know, with some fancy stuff. You know, <laughs> I don't know how the, the Afi and Nyonya do it at the shop. But yeah, I would rather just pay for that. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so let's let's do a quick introduction before we go into like your 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 all 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 of your experiences as as a food content creator um in a sentence tell us who you are wow um i'm a photographer by training um well i'm a full-time photographer but i also dabble in food i develop recipes for brands and ever since master chef singapore in 2018 i've been doing a lot more food content creation before we get to talking about your master chef um experience let's go back to your very first memories as a home cook like i mean for me i i just remember being delegated to cut potatoes and peel onions uh, from my mom and and not really doing very well in home economics but i mean like <laughs> how, how did you learn to cook um i learned cooking from my sisters actually um so i always tell people that they dragged me to the kitchen when I was younger. I, like, same as you, I would be the one peeling the potatoes, washing the dishes, you know, I'll be tasked to watch over the pot and just keep stirring, you know. I don't know what I was doing, but just stir the pot, you know. That was always my duty, you know, and I cannot get it burned, even though I don't know what's in the pot. <laughs> Were you always, you always love uh, to cook? Um, not really. I used to hate going into the kitchen with my sisters because they were very fierce. Um, and my sisters, you know, I, I grew up with three older sisters, you know, and it's, it's always very, you know, they, they want to dominate in the kitchen. And my mom doesn't let us be in the kitchen when she cooks. But when my sisters cook, you know, she's like, okay, fine, you have the kitchen for the day. I won't disturb you guys. Go and mess it up and then clean it. That's all, that's all I you know. Return the kitchen back to me clean. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how I learned how to cook. Eventually, I picked up their recipes. And yeah, I don't have to refer to anything. I just remember, okay, this is what they add and this is how it's supposed to taste like. Wow. So like um, when, when you were starting out, right, was this this whole concept of agar ration or such a cook in Malay cooking, which is like yeah. um, 
just not cooking according to like specific measurements, yeah. but just yeah. going by feel is was that yeah. basically your foundation? That was basically how I started cooking because you know my sisters they they safeguard their recipes, you know. They don't, and they, know they don't share with me, you know, they don't show me their recipe book, you know, but you know, because I help them so much in the kitchen, yeah. eventually I memorize the recipes. Yeah. So it, it has always been like that for me. I always go by feel, go by taste, you know, how it's supposed to taste like, what I'm supposed to add, what I'm supposed to omit, you know, that kind of thing. And leading up to, to this whole MasterChef experience, what made you want to audition for it? Well, it was a, it was a very random decision, actually. Um, you know, previously they had it on the, they were supposed to air on Channel 8 and they were looking for mentoring speakers. So I was like, ah, oh, very discouraged, you know, okay, never mind. So maybe next time. And then suddenly they opened it up for English speaking, English, English speakers. And I was on, I was on Facebook and my friend shared the link. And I'm like, you know what, let's just try my luck. It was a very long questionnaire to, for you to apply. It's like probably four pages long. You know, they ask you about, yeah, your brief history, how you started cooking and all that. So I sat down for a good one hour and filled out the form. And next thing I know, um, that very, that, that, the, the, the next morning, I received, received a call. Like, hey, are you free for an audition tomorrow? I'm like, oh my God, that is very quick. You know, like I wasn't prepared. I really had plans for that weekend, you know. And back then I was, I was, I was just engaged and I was like, I'm sorry, I have to go for the audition. And literally my, you know, my, my husband back then, he was like, okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead, go for the audition. Mm-hmm. And how was, how was the audition? It was really intense. Um, they just gave us like, okay, this is what you're, you're given, like the equipment that you have. Um, and you just bring the ingredients and you can't prepare anything prior to that. Basically, if you bring an, if you need an onion, you bring the whole onion. You need five cloves of garlic. Five cloves of garlic. You can't even like peel it. Have it peeled already. Yeah. So they gave us forty-five minutes to cook, and yeah. So I pretty much cook. I am lemak chili padi with um, nasi sarai and a bit of sambal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was my audition dish. And that was what got you in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Did That's you what um? What was the highlight of your experience on the show? I mean, like. You know, see, episode after episode, you were given so many different challenges. But what was that that highlight for you? Really, um, I felt really proud of myself during that first episode because that was top eighteen. Um, you you were just you know looking at okay, who's your competition, you know, and you're just you know getting a feel, trying to be friends with other people, you know, and trying to get a feel of what their niche, you know, what their specialty are. So when uh, during the first episode, I was like, they're probably going to make us cook some fried rice or some local thing. I just, and I say this, to, I, I said this to like a few of, 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 the, of the contestants. And they're like, are you sure? They're not going to make us like cook eggs or something. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's something local. And sure enough, they made us cook fried rice, you know, to go with our sambal. And for me, when I go out and eat fried rice, it has to be nasi goreng kampung. Mm, I'm, I'm a true Malay girl at heart, you know, I need my nasi goreng kampung with kerupuk, ikan bilis, you know, and a bit of sambal belacan and, yes. and sunny side up, right? Yes. It, you yes. must have a sunny side up. Yes. Yeah, so, so for me, I'm like, damn it, I need kerupuk. And yeah, so I, I make kerupuk out of chicken skin. And it's usually a process that would take you at least half an hour. Uh, and you, you and, and back then, we were given half an hour to cook the dish. But the entire fried rice. Mm. So I was very, um, 
I was very surprised and proud of myself <laughs> for pulling off that crispy chicken skin croquette in like oh my God. you know in a, in a matter of 30 minutes with the fried rice. Oh, that sounds so good. Allah, that sounds really really good. Um, can you are you able to tell me whether um you're able to kind of are you are you expected to come up with a dish then and there when they announce the yeah, theme definitely. of the episode? Wow, yeah. so it's it's all real. So you really have literally yeah. like thirty minutes to come up with fried mm. rice, and you did yeah. it. And apparently, yeah. you you were very very good in sort of predicting what your next challenge would be, right? Yeah, they called me the psychic. <laughs> But is is it is it because like you've watched so many like MasterChef seasons before, oh, or you just love yes. reality TV? <laughs> I, I um I, MasterChef was the only reality TV I watched back then, you know. Yeah. And really, I would like when I was in uni, I would sneak sneak in sometime, you know, in the library. Like, oh, I cannot. I'm done with studying. I'm just going to watch MasterChef. <laughs> and and I was always watching. And after that, okay, I need to try this in the kitchen. You know, so I was always experimenting, and yeah, I think like watching so many episodes of MasterChef eventually led me to like, okay, what would the producers of MasterChef do in Singapore? You know, how would they localize it? You know, and yeah. it helped that I was I also dabbled a little bit in production last time. Mm. You know, and and I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's let's let's, let's just do this. Let's just pretend that I'm a I'm a producer on MasterChef Singapore. Right? <laughs> Did you ever feel like um? Man, I've never eaten this pro- this this dish, and I'm given this challenge. And how, like, how the hell am I supposed to cook it? Like, for example, I've seen in other uh, variations of MasterChef where, let's say, there's like a vegetarian um, contestant, and then she has had to like kill a lobster. She's never eaten a lobster, but then she wins the challenge, and she does like amazing things. So, was there ever a situation where you felt like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing, but I managed there to pull it off anyway? Yeah. There were a few actually, um, you know, and MasterChef is all about um, elevating your food. It's not to say you're making fine, like a fine dining food only. Mm. You are, you, you know, you, you put yourself in a dish, you know, that's what they keep saying. Uh, and then you elevate the dish. So during one of the episodes, we were given sweetbreads. And I'm like, what is sweetbreads? I've mm. never heard of anything. You know, and apparently it's it's a part of a veal, like the thyroid gland of a veal or something like that. Mm-hmm. See, until now, I also don't know what a sweet milk is. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, so I know it's meat. Um, how does it taste like? What texture does it have? Yeah. You know, and all in my head, in my head, I was like, I was asking so many questions. And during, in the pantry, you know, when you were given, okay, 10 minutes in the pantry to get all your stuff, I kept going around and just shamelessly asking, how does sweet bread taste like? How does sweet bread taste like? Yeah. And eventually, one of the, one of the contestants, they did, they did, I think it was Xander. Xander was like, it's, it's supposed to taste like chicken, chicken thigh, Sha. I'm supposed to taste like chicken thigh. Okay, okay. I'm like, okay, chicken thigh is juicy. Okay, let's just make it into ayam goreng marampala, you know? <laughs> You can you can't go wrong with ayam goreng. Can you imagine like our mothers making sweet bread like berempa or something. Exactly, and it's yeah. and that thing is expensive. That sweet bread is expensive. It's like like a kilo goes for like twenty thirty dollars maybe mm. maybe more. I'm not too sure, but yeah, it's an expensive part of a veal, mm. and I made it into a local nasi lemak dish, you know, and I made ayam goreng berempa, and it worked. I won that challenge actually. So oh my god, that's that's really really amazing. Um. I thought it was interesting that that you you said um, sort of what would be your version or your take on a dish. So put yourself in that dish. So yeah. if you Shamsida were to exist yeah. as a dish, what would that be? Wow, 
what would I be? Well, I've got to go back to my uh, sec two home econs lesson. Um, I think that was the first time I ever like created something totally new. It was actually a dinding pizza. What? Yeah. It's sec two. <laughs> <laughs> I was making rice at sec two. What is this? Okay, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. So yeah, we it was our like semester in our exam we. Uh, we, we, we had the home econs exam and then the task was we're supposed to make a one dish like something like present a pizza you know we have to decorate the pizza box you know pretend that you are fast food chain that kind of thing so i i, I designed my pizza box and then when when it called for the cooking session um like we were given like a week to prepare and get get our ingredients so i was like yeah, like ding ding. You know, at the, at the point of time, my parents, I don't know why, they kept going to the frozen frozen shop, you know, the halal frozen shop. Yeah. And they kept buying back ding ding. And, you know, we just grilled it on at home. So I was like, okay, can I get some ding ding? Because I need it for school. And yeah, my mom got it for me. And yeah, I made ding ding pizza, I remember. And I also meant, asked her to get for me, like, so ding daging. Uh, it was pretty much a Malay pizza. It was like, it was still tomato based. So was it, mm-hmm. I think I put, no, no, no. I think I put, Satay sauce as a base. Oh, that's that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was satay sauce as a base, and then I had the dinding, mm-hmm. and I had the sorting daging topped, you know, and some chili padi on top, something like that. Wow, yeah. then got A. <laughs> yeah, I managed to get an A for that. <laughs> okay, sorry for for our non-Malay speaking uh, listeners. So dinding is actually like beef strips, or uh, it's more describe? like. Uh, it's more than bakwa. Like, okay, what is bakwa in English? <laughs> so like slice, slice beef or something? Like, indeed beef, yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. And, and surrounding is kind of like a floss, Shredded. right? Yeah, floss, yes. Right. Correct. Okay, okay. Um, so that would actually be you on a plate. Yeah, that's me. If, if looking back, I'm like, actually, Dad, I need to recreate that dish very soon. <laughs> why why very is that? Is it because it's like a combination of like Western and Malay influences? Yes, so that's the thing about me. I personally like fusion Malay food. I like mixing up, you know, I, I have my sourdough with leftover lemak chili padi, you know, that kind of thing, you know, but people around me don't. My sister hates fusion, you know, mm. she's like, don't come to me with only uh, only cake, you know, she hates it. She's like, you either come with me a cake or only uh, only itself, right, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I've always loved like, like fusion food and I think that's me, yeah, mixing like Western and Malay flavors together on a plate. That's really interesting, which brings to mind um, this term that, that I, I brought up with you, uh, which is Mod Malay Kitchen. Mm-hmm. I see that quite a bit on your Instagram. Can you tell me yeah. what Mod Malay food is? So, Mod Malay food is actually uh, inspired from the recent, uh, well, the local chefs in Singapore. They actually, there's this Mod Asian. Um, Food. It's it's something. It's a trendy thing to present like uh, local dishes, you know, in in similar ways that I present my Malay food. So you have like things like only only cake, basically. That's mm-hmm. what they call a uh, mod Asian, mm-hmm. Yeah, they wouldn't say, but um, and also they mix like Western techniques with Asian flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So for me, that's what I do as well. Like for my audition, my master chef audition. You know, I am not much anybody. You're supposed to fry the, the the chicken, right? So instead of 
frying the chicken, I actually grilled it in the oven. Mm. And then I seared the skin to make sure there's this crispy skin. So there's, there's, a, there's different levels of texture when you eat the ayam lemak cili padi with the fluffy, fragrant nasi serai. And yeah, so that's what I presented and that's what I believe like what mod Malay is. You mix, you know, you use, make full use of the oven. You use modern equipment, you use modern technology to just make your food better and make it faster. Mm. Do you think that there is a space for mod Malay food in Singapore? Like, is that a way for Malay food to be so-called more approachable to non-Malay? Oh yeah, definitely, customers? definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, the thing is, um, Malay food has always been approachable to non-Asian palate, I suppose. I mean, I've, I've, I have friends from Australia, from, from Germany, you know, and they love Malay food because they say that it's flavorful, you know, but it, it's, um, it's a matter of how you want to make it different and basically make your process in the kitchen a lot faster because the, what, what I always get from my peers is that Malay food is tedious to make. You know, mm. You're going to spend hours to cook. You know, you're going to be chopping the onion, you're going to be blending, and then you're going to be like grinding using a posta and mess, uh, a mess, uh, sorry, a mota and pestle, you know. And that's always a turn off for a lot of my friends. Like, oh, I don't cook Malay food because it's going to take hours. Mm. When in actual fact, it's, it's very fast, you know, as long as you know how to quicken the process. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I want to, that's what I want to portray. Like, Mont Malay is not just about elevating your Malay food, but also making it easier and accessible on a daily basis so that, you know, you don't lose the traditional um, flavours. You don't lose the, the, the culture of, of mm. Malay food. Mm. You know, and we don't just like rely on our machis and nenets to, to cook them. Right. It's, that's, okay, that, that's, that's really, really interesting. Because like, I, I don't know if I fall in the category of being like a purist where lemak chili padi can, has to only exist as lemak chili padi or <laughs> lemak chili padi as a pasta is also a really, really great idea. And, yes, and it really it makes you fall in love with the dish all over again and you realise yes. how versatile Malay dishes can be if it mm-hmm. can be applied across like different, different types of food. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the basics. Like um, we know that you're, you're very, very renowned, you know, home cook, but then what was like the worst food you cooked? What's your worst? <laughs> worst oh dish ever. Gosh. Um, worst dish ever. Oh my god, that's a very good question. But I do have kitchen fails, um, and my husband always has to bear the brunt of it because <laughs> I get very flustered and I hate it. I hate myself when I have a kitchen fail. But I know that it's something normal, you know. And I'm not a trained chef, you know. I really am a home cook. I, I pretty much everything about me is self-taught. So, um, I think the worst was I tried to make, make a takoyaki um, coming back from Japan, you know, and I was very excited. I really got the ingredients and everything. And it turned out that, you know, the, the, the pan that I was using wasn't seasoned enough. So, my balls, you know, kept sticking to, to, the, to the pan. So, yeah. I ended up having uh, okonomiyaki instead uh-huh. of takoyaki, you know, the, the flat the flat cake instead of the takoyaki. Oh, man. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So but the it tastes good. It tasted good, but, you know, I was still upset at myself. You know, and until this day, I haven't recreated takoyaki. I haven't made takoyaki again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, I probably need a new pen, another pen or something, you know. <laughs> the one so that you I got off that didn't work. <laughs> 
So you actually got the pen with like the like the cast iron pen with the little holes, is it? Yes, yes. Oh wow, yes. they actually sell those. Yeah, yeah. It's a cheap one, you know. So I'm like, mm, okay, maybe it's a pen spot. <laughs> I, I remember you were talking about um like a biryani meal that was also pretty bad. Could you oh, tell yes. me about that? Yes. <laughs> that was um that was a long time ago. Hmm. I think it was way before MasterChef. Um, I I have always been afraid of Indian cooking more than Malay food, Malay cooking. So because I know that the spices in Indian cuisine is a lot more complex mm-hmm. than it is Malay, and um, so yeah, when I tried to make biryani, I I think it just became like it, it was like a mush of rice rather than you know fluffy and light and you know uh-huh. it was fries and then the the chicken didn't taste as good as I wanted it to so it was it was a long time ago I was still single back then you know mm-hmm. and my mom she was like my mom's very encouraging you know she never says that she the thing about her is she never says that something is really sedap she never says oh this is really good she won't ever say that okay but she also won't, won't say that oh this is very bad you know that you you she wouldn't like she she would just be on the middle if, if I'm if it tastes good she wouldn't praise me Mm-hmm. It stays bad. She's like she'll just keep quiet. You know? She's just like, oh, it's okay. Later we can we can eat this later for dinner. You know, uh-huh. she will just try to try to make you know not not discourage me further. So that's one thing I love about my mom. She she will never say that my food is bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice. I mean, and I think in when when you're home cook, you always need someone to be the one who eats everything you you cook, yeah. whether it's good or not. And so, who would that person be for you? now is really my husband <laughs> <laughs> is he a harsh critic ah uh, he is actually and ever since, i think ever since he married me um he has his food palate has uh, has gone up he's he's a better eater now i think you know and sometimes when i myself know what where went wrong you know and i was like okay this this thing i need to do this to make it taste even better and before i can even tell him he'll be like oh why does this taste like this you know you should add this or you should do that, you know. And I'm like, wow, who's a food critic now? Huh? Suddenly you become an expert in food, huh? <laughs> Are you, like, is, does, does yeah. he also cook um, together with you? Or, like, oh, you no, just... he doesn't. He doesn't. Then he cannot be a food critic, huh? He does the dishes for me, so I'm happy. Okay, okay. okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the secret to a happy marriage. Yeah, um, I, I have to bring this up because since we are two Malay women talking about food, I can't ignore this conversation that's, that's revolving around mm. Malay food being um, repackaged or uh-huh. <laughs> marketed as food yep. from another culture um, yeah. or non-Malays cooking our food and passing it off as theirs yeah. or rather not giving credit to the culture that they borrowed it from. Yeah. Um, so to just kind of um, give context to our listeners, mm-hmm. I think a couple of, some time back, there, were, there was this whole conversation around mm-hmm. a Peranakan Nasi Lemak that was created by three gourmet chefs who were non-Malays. And yeah. uh, it was, it, I was struggling to find something Peranakan about it because largely mm-hmm. it reminded me of our Nasi Lemak, right? Because it had, exactly. fried, it had fried chicken, it had the uh, yeah exactly and what troubled me more was that the cost of it was it was like twelve dollars I think the most expensive was eighteen dollars and there was um there was nothing Peranakan about it let's let's be honest so 
what are your thoughts about nasi lemak being robbed <laughs> or rather I, I, I think it's, it's not just nasi lemak it's like way of, a couple months back there was the whole peranakan nasi ambang thing also yes right yeah and this this is a recent um it's a it's a recent what they call phenomenon like everything is suddenly peranakan this peranakan that mm. you know and before this i've always loved peranakan food you know uh, really loved it because especially ayam buah keluar it's something mm. that's very different it's not Malay it's not like rawan you know even though you, you do use the same buah keluar yeah you know but um, that's the thing uh, when when I was in MasterChef um, Chef Damien he, 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 he specializes in Eurasian Peranakan food not Baba Peranakan but Eurasian Peranakan apparently there's a difference I just, mm. read, I just found out about this mm. and then there's another contestant Sharon Gonzago who's a good friend of mine also and she also specializes in Eurasian Peranakan food, mm. you know, and she does um, Baba Peranakan food. She does the whole Tok Panjang and everything, you know, and I, I, I asked them right at the start, actually, what's the difference between Malay and Peranakan food? Mm. You know, because we have rendang, you guys also have rendang. We have, um, what do you say, uh, asam, right? asam, asam fish, right? We have asam pedas, and they also have asam fish, lah, basically, you know, and Chef Damien told me that um, for one, Peranakan versions of the Malay food are adaptations mm-hmm. of the actual Malay foods because um, they they use like non-halal meats, they use babi, they some of them, well, they use some of the recipes, they use alcohol, you know, and it's just rest, uh, ingredients that we Malays don't use. Mm. Um, that's one. And then another aspect of Peranakan food that he mentioned was that the palate is always a lot milder than Malay food. Mm. Malay, Malay, like you know, Malay rendang is intense. It's spicy. It's it's flavorful. You know, it's it's you, you really taste the rumpa. Whereas, um, Peranakan rendang is milder. It's not spicy. You know, it's not it's not as intense. You know, probably I'm saying not as intense is because I'm used to Malay food. Mm. You know? Whereas I do have Peranakan friends who who prefer the Malay versions of rendang or, or whatever you have lah, yeah. you know and they say that um, it's true that the Pranakan versions are just a lot milder and it just caters to the Chinese palate yeah so and also you have to go back to how the Pranakans um, came about you know it's all these Chinese immigrants who came down from China you know and then they went down to through Indochina to Thailand to, to Malaysia and then they married the locals that's one Pranakan, and then you have the Indian Pranakan as well. Mm. You know, basically Pranakan is people with with um, what do you call it, um, different ethnicities lah. Yeah, mom and dad from different ethnicities. Mm. So you have the Pranakan Chinese, you have the Indian Pranakans, and then you have the Eurasian Pranakans. So I think the problem is the the Chinese Pranakans are the ones who are marketing uh, Malay food as Pranakan and then thus selling it at a premium price. You know. Uh, and the, that's the problem right there. It's, we don't discount the fact that they too have a history. They too have a culture and a heritage. But they have to understand that it's a, it's a shared heritage. Hmm. It's a shared culture, you know. Your, your, the, your ancestors from China married the locals, you know, and then they adapt the local, uh, yeah, local uh, dishes hmm. to adapt, you know, so that they can tell it. And then... When, when the Pranakan Nasi Lemak came about, and then I saw that there's nothing different about it. There's, there's, no, there's no distinct 
peranakan-ness about it, you know, and they say that, oh, there's an ota, it's, it's very peranakan thing. And I'm like, yeah, Chiji Nasi Lemak has ota-ota also, but they don't sell it as, you know, they just, they just, okay, Nasi Lemak is Nasi Lemak. Yeah. And then when you go to Malaysia, you have um, very popular places like Village Nasi Lemak, which is uh, halal, but at the same time, they're helmed by Chinese businessmen, you know, and they don't sell it as Chinese Nasi Lemak or like, yeah. Malaysian Chinese nasi lemak, you know? It's just good nasi lemak. Exactly, exactly. You know, food, food knows no um, c- colour or, you know, they, they, they don't want to be labelled with uh, from a particular race. That's what I feel. Mm. You know, food should just be food. You know, if they just marketed it as nasi lemak by Le Ami's group, you know, like, and then you want to sell it expensive, okay, then tell, tell us what makes it expensive. You know, is your coconut from a single origin coconut, you know? <laughs> or is it like hand-flown or like, you know, from Malaysia or something like that, you know? Yeah. Tell us what makes your premium nasi lemak premium. Yeah. Because just by slapping a name and slapping a race or a culture in front of it doesn't make it premium. Mm. And it's not nice at all, especially if you're taking it, if you're borrowing it from another culture. Mm. That's, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think there is a space for Peranakan food and Malay food and Chinese food and Indian mm. food to all exist in the same world. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you need to give credit where credit is due. And if you are inspired by another culture, acknowledge it. And we would be so proud to showcase our food to, to a wider audience, I think. Um, exactly, exactly. I think another thing that, and I, I cannot articulate why it bothers me, I just know that it doesn't feel right, is when non-Malay uh, restaurants and companies, you know, borrow from our culture and then they sell the same food that we cook at exorbitant prices, mm-hmm. but also selling it to non-Malays because they mm-hmm. sell alcohol and yeah. um, they, they sell non-halal food. And then yeah. you're actually borrowing from a culture, but you're not, you're completely ignoring the target audience from the culture that you borrowed from. So yeah. I'm not going to go into like a, a restaurant, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that perpetuates um, or celebrates Malay, Malay cooking but then right. it's not halal and I cannot dine there so like what's the point who are we trying to um, pay home homage to if yeah. you're not including us in the yeah. conversation yeah I mean like, but then that brings us to this sort of can Malay food be gourmet in the first place Malay food can definitely be gourmet but you've got to understand the very heart of what Malay culture is and that is giving. We are a community who gives and gives, and we don't expect anything in return. And especially when it comes to food, uh, my family, we love food so much that it's become our love language. I say that my love language is not acts of service, you know, it's really just food, you know. Growing up, when my siblings and I, when we argue, you know, when we fight, you know, yes, it's going to be terrible squabbles, but two hours later, they're like, okay, I bought some rojak, you know. Don't yeah. eat. Oh, I bought durian. Come, let's see. Don't eat. You know. Yeah. It's always been like that. And whenever we visit, whenever we go anywhere, there's always like something either home cook or you know we buy food for people. And I realize this happens in a lot of Malay families, and especially in in Machi, you know, the mother, our mother's generation, um, food is given without expecting anything in return. And it same goes, even the nasi padang store of Machi, you know, when they cook, they, they sell things, you know, they don't want to sell it so expensive. Even though they complain, oh, cost of ingredients are rising, 
because of um, this is more getting more expensive. Yet at this, yet they still try to sell you know a plate of nasi lemak for like what two fifty sometimes. You know you can still get at some hawker stalls. You can still get a plate of nasi lemak with a really good chicken wing. You know for two fifty. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the very heart of our community. You know we give and food is something that you don't really usually pay for. You see, you know, and charging people uh, really expensive prices for food is, you know, something that's, that's unknown of, you know, especially to Mati Machi, mm. you know. Like, my mom, like, she will be like, when, when, when she's, she finds out that, oh, this thing costs how much, like, nasi ambeng for Sati, yeah. Let's say a, plate of, a, a platter of nasi ambeng that's, that serves maybe five people costs, like, what, $55, $60? Mm-hmm. She'll be like, she'll flip. She'll be like, why is it so expensive? You know, let me just cook. Let me spend half a day in the kitchen and I'll just cook. And I can serve like 10 people. You know, that's, that's, that's always the mentality. Yes. And that's why like, I feel that that's preventing us from opening, let's say, a gourmet Malay restaurant, uh, a fine dining Malay restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I feel. And I don't think we sh- anyone in the community should open a fine dining or a gourmet Malay restaurant just because there's a gap in the market for them, you know, just because. Because food is really something that it shouldn't, it shouldn't fetch such a high price. Personally, for me, that's what I feel, you know. Like, if I want to pay for good food, it has to be something that I can't make it at home. Mm. Yeah. And, so, and wouldn't that be putting a price on something if you can't make it at home? And therefore, it warrants being expensive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if I know that it's going to take me like what one whole day, two days, three days to make, uh, like let's say a bowl of ramen. Okay, to be honest, a bowl of ramen, I can make it at home, but it's gonna take me one whole week from from making the egg, you know, making the ramen egg is gonna take you at least three days, mm-hmm. you know, and then for you to to simmer the the chicken stock is gonna take you another one whole day. It's yeah. it's it's a long process. So I that's the kind of thing I would rather go to a restaurant and pay for. Now that we've talked about all this, you know, fancy cooking skills, let, let's go back <laughs> yeah. to the basics and and talk about, you know, um cooking skills for some of us who have never spent a day in the kitchen. And I'm not just talking about the um the women, I'm talking about the men as well. I think, you know, cooking is a life skill that everyone should have. Yeah, it's a survival yeah. skill. Exactly. So in, in your opinion, what are some of the most important uh, cooking skills that one should have and the first few dishes that um, someone should learn to cook? Learn how to cook rice on the stove. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why? You got rice cooker. I don't have a rice cooker. Oh, man. Okay, okay so <laughs> tell me why is this important? Okay, so uh, in, Master, in the MasterChef kitchen, we're just given an induction cooker with four burners. We don't have a rice cooker. We have a fancy, a fan, some fancy other equipment, but we don't have a rice cooker, you know. Mm-hmm. It's probably the cheapest thing, you know, for them to have for us, but no. You've got to learn how to cook rice on the stove. Be it an induction stove or a fire stove, you know, you've got to learn the basics. It's the same as cooking pasta. You know, you, you cook pasta in, in, a, in a pot of boiling water seasoned with a lot of salt mm-hmm. because you want want the pasta to stick together and two you want the pasta to be flavored you know it's it's pasta on its by itself it's it's just very very bland so you've got to season the water so it's the same same skill basically you've got to learn how to cook rice on the stove and you know especially with that 
um, I don't know, that BBC presenter uh, and Uncle Roger, you know, that, that stupid, you know, cooking rice without washing and then rinsing it halfway oh, yeah. under the step. Oh. Yeah, you know, it, it's rice is actually the simplest thing. The Asian method is the best way to measure the amount of water. The finger? Yeah, the finger thing. You know, and then after that, you just got to learn how to manage your fire. Make sure that it's on medium-low heat for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Once you see the water disappear after 20 minutes, you've got to set the timer, okay? My mom doesn't believe in timing. She, she, I will always set a timer for everything, especially when I'm cooking rice. Okay. And when I cook rice on the stove, I used to tell her, do not touch my rice. Do not stir. Because I don't like the starch to be developed. I don't like sticky rice. Okay. Yeah. I like my rice dry and fluffy and berderai, basically. I like it berderai. Like, you know, it will just, you know, crumble like Fall that. You itself, know, yeah. Fall yourself. Yes, exactly. So I will always tell her off, do not touch my rice. 20 minutes, do not touch it at all. You know, and she'll like, she'll, she'll like, she'll always try to like, you know, like, uh, up, you know, like the fire is, is boiling already. I need to stir. Like, no, do not stir my rice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... For me, that's the technique. That's that's the basic thing. I must, I must um learn. Or basically, I must teach someone else to learn. Wow. Yeah, okay. Like, I'm okay. gonna teach my son how to cook rice the minute he can stand or like you know hold a pot of rice on his own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to learn how to cook rice on a stove. <laughs> like my mother never taught me that. Like she was like, okay, she bought me a recipe <laughs> when I when I moved out, and she yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. You will be fed. Okay. So um. What, um, now that you've made a name for yourself and you are this, you know, home cook expert, you're working with kitchen brands and you're coming up with your own recipes. Um, uh-huh. So what's, what's next in store for you? Um, I actually just submitted my manuscript for my cookbook, um, which I photographed as well. And it's been a crazy year because, oh um, yeah, I've been writing and photographing it while I was pregnant and when I gave birth, you know, and yeah, finally I submitted it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll be out by the end of the year. Can you um, yeah. Can you give us like a, a teaser of like what this what 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 sort of dishes you would um include in the cookbook? It's really recipes which I collected over like ten years or so of cooking on my own. Mm. Um, recipes which I've adapted, and it's perfect for people who just want to start out in the kitchen. Mm. You know, it's really not for those who are expert. <laughs> nothing new, nothing fancy. But, you know, if you are daunted, you know, if you, especially, um, I've got a lot of new friends who, I've got a lot of friends who just moved into the new place and suddenly they have to cook for themselves. They don't know how to cook for their husbands, you know. So this is like a guide for them. Shamsida, thank you for being on the show and for making me feel so hungry. It's so nice <laughs> to meet people who love food because like, man, we can talk about food for hours and hours. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. It's, it's just who we are and exactly. so, I mean all the best with your cookbook and I hope to try some of your recipes next thank time thank you so much Fariza <laughs> I'm Fariza this is Frankly My Dear and you have honestly been lovely I'll see you next time <laughs>